0: In 1922, the business community was pretty excited. Companies along Vernon Road were having a great deal of success. The White River Chair Company, Crosby Milling, and Fort Dermot Cotton Mill had all settled into the southeast corner of town and caused a housing boom. Adding to
1: the excitement was the announcement that Presbury Leland of New York was building a granite cutting shed at the location of the main-based Snowflake Canning Company. The corn canning company had located on Vernon Road in 1898, but was a seasonal employer, while Presbury Leland promised year-round skilled union jobs.
0: The Canning Company buildings were sold off and dismantled. In their place, foundations for a large granite plant were dug along the Connecticut River. It was during this process that three human skeletons were unearthed. For three days in a row, during October 1922, a skeleton was dislodged from its grave about 30 feet from the riverbank and a foot or two below ground. Each was 8 or 10 feet from the next. Health
1: Officer Dr. Chester Leach was called to examine the bones. He said it was impossible to tell how long they had been in the ground. He knew it was definitely more than 50 years, but could not be more precise. Earlier in the year, during July, a human skeleton had been found just south of Vernon Dam. Erosion along the riverbank had exposed the remains, and Dr. Lynch guessed that it was a Native American skeleton. There were some artifacts buried with the body, and it was found in a knees-drawn-up position.
0: In the case of the three human skeletons at the old canning factory site, the first skeleton was also discovered in a knees-drawn-up position, and the next two skeletons were children. Dr. Lynch said that it was impossible to say whether the skeletons were of European or Native American origin. There were no artifacts uncovered with the bones, and he suggested that since the skeletons lay a few hundred yards north of the 1700s Fort Dummer site, that workers may have uncovered an old Fort burial ground. The bones were brought to Selectman Stellman's machine shop for further examination.
1: A review of contemporary newspapers of the time indicates that construction was not slowed by these discoveries, and there was no further reporting on the fate of the skeletons. We wonder if the three human skeletons were also Native Americans. Burial in a knees-drawn-up position is a Native American practice, and we know that Fort Dummer had a burial ground opposite the fort on the east side of the Connecticut River.
0: It seems the disturbance of the graves was noteworthy enough to find its way into state newspapers, but the economic impetus to complete the construction project precluded an archaeological examination of the area. Earlier newspaper reports have examples of similar practices during the construction of the railroad tracks along the Connecticut River in the mid-1800s. Human skeletons were found on both sides of the river, but there was no reported effort to preserve or value the remains of earlier peoples. The discoveries were reported as curiosities, and construction continued.
1: In April 1898, approximately 150 local farmers gathered in Festival Hall to listen to a presentation from a corn canning company from Maine. The farmers had been invited by the Brattleboro Board of Trade to hear representatives from Baxter & Brothers Company make a pitch for the establishment of a corn canning factory in town.
0: The Brunswick, Maine-based company had been canning corn for over 40 years and expanded to include factories in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. The company proposed to lease land along Vernon Road and build a canning factory in town. The Baxter brothers were looking for investors to help with the construction of the factory and a commitment from local farmers that at least 400 acres of corn would be raised in the area to make the business worthwhile.
1: The company also looked to the community to form a corn canning building association that would invest in the construction of the factory building. The local investors would become stockholders in the building and receive dividends from what was produced from this particular factory. The Baxter company would provide the canning machinery, hire workers, and manage the business.
0: The Snowflake cannery was one of over 20 canning factories operated by the Baxter Brothers of Maine. They managed vegetable canneries in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont, with canneries close by in Westminster, Windsor, and Essex Junction.
1: The cannery operated until 1922. During that time, the Twin State Gas and Electric Company purchased the land the cannery was on and continued a year-to-year lease with the company. The canning company had good and bad years, producing between 300,000 and 1 million cans of corn a season. The canning season only lasted eight weeks or so, and the cannery sat idle for the remainder of the time. During the season, up to 200 people were employed to husk, can, and label the corn, but finding reliable seasonal employees proved difficult. For a few years, Boston-area Italians were brought by train to work in the cannery and temporary housing was constructed. Area farmers planted between 300 and 500 acres of company corn and had occasional disputes with management about corn prices.
0: Presbury Leland, a large granite company with offices in New York City and granite sheds in Barrie, Vermont, showed interest in building a granite cutting plant in Brattleboro. The Dummerston granite quarry had recently been purchased by many of the same major Presbury Leland owners and a cutting shed near the quarry made sense.
1: Presbury Leland had been in Barrie since 1906 but wanted to work the granite in the Dummerston quarry. The Dummerston granite was harder than the Barrie granite or the granite found in the westerly Rhode Island quarries. This meant it was better to use for large monuments and mausoleums.
0: Presbury-Leland spoke with the Brattleboro Board of Trade, and a deal was struck. The Twin State Gas and Electric Company ceased the lease with the cannery. Members of the Board of Trade bought the land from the gas company and gave it to Presbury-Leland. The town voted to exempt Presbury-Leland from local taxes for 10 years. Central Vermont Railroad built a rail spur to the factory site. In return, Presbury-Leland brought a 100 year-round union jobs to Brattleboro, with the majority being skilled stone craftsmen.
1: The plan was to quarry the granite from Dummerston and transport it by the West River Railroad to the granite cutting shed in Brattleboro. There the granite would be turned into large monuments and mausoleums. This worked well for many years.
0: In 1935, the West River Railroad was foreclosed on by the state as a $200,000 loan was not repaid. The railroad had been severely damaged by the 1927 flood and needed the money for reconstruction. The 25-mile section north of Dummerston was sold to a salvaging company in 1936 for
1: $25,000. Presbury-Leland entered into an agreement with the state to lease and maintain the tracks between Dummerston and Brattleboro. Unfortunately, in 1936, another major flood damaged the tracks, and the Presbury-Leland plant on Vernon Road was severely damaged as well. In May 1937, the Dummerston Quarry shut down as cost to repair and maintain the train tracks proved prohibitive. The company felt it was cheaper to buy large blocks of granite from Barry and transport them by train to Brattleboro.
0: The Presbury-Leland plant continued to use Barry granite until it shut down in February 1943. The company said a decrease in demand for large granite memorials and wartime government restrictions made the plant unprofitable. Most of the workers quickly found employment in many wartime industries in New England. Since that
1: time, the location of the granite cutting shed has served many functions. A company called EnerGene, reconfigured the building in 1944 and operated there until 1960. A series of paper companies made various products there until 2003, and it is now known as the Riverside Industrial Center. Before it was any of these things, it may well have been an Abenaki burial ground. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.